Welcome to Fierce Female Filmmakers, a production of Artemisia's Daughters, a non-profit organization that aims to inspire, educate, empower, and employ women of all ages and backgrounds in the film and TV industries. Hello. My guest today is Rebecca Harris-Smith, who goes by Becky with two Ks. She has a master's in film studies and is currently studying for a PhD. She's made several short films, which I want to hear about, and has four scripts in the works. Becky, welcome to Fierce Female Filmmakers. Hi, Hi. Um, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? (laughs) Um, I'm good, thanks. Um, I've been putting a couple of hours into my PhD, so... Yeah, my brain's a little. Do you bit want off, to do you want but, to dive yeah. straight into your PhD and 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 what it's about, or is it top secret, or is it? Um, it's not top secret. Um, it's 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 about women in film, <laughs> um, specifically um, women directors and women scriptwriters, um, in the horror genre. Yes. Oh, oh okay. Um, because um, because people think that we can't possibly do scary stuff or action sequences or anything like that. We have to do romantic comedies, right? That's right. All all the time. It's got to be drama, melodrama, or romance. Nothing. Else. It's interesting, isn't it? That that even as women are, <laughs> I'm going to say, breaking into making their own films we still have to wade through a preconception of the the kind of films that that we're making rewind a little bit and and tell me about what what was the first moment you said i, I want to be a filmmaker i want to be telling stories through through the medium of film um originally i didn't actually want to be a film director i wanted to be a music video director when I was 16. And that was because you had a passion um, for, for music. Yeah, um, I love music. And um, when I was 16, well, for a few years, my favourite band had been the Manny Street Preachers. Um, and I wanted to make a music video for them because um, I loved all their music videos. They're, they're brilliant. Um, and so I went and I did a media course. Um, and kind of the rest happened from there. Really? <laughs> it, but it happened because you realised that if you could make a music video which has a certain narrative to it in interpreting the song, there wasn't much of a step between that and making a narrative film with a story and speaking and actors. Yeah, that's right. So um, during the media course, you make quite a lot of um, small films, um, a couple of music videos, a couple of small films, and I really enjoyed the short film making. Um, I didn't write any scripts then. Um, I literally just kind of did the camera work, directed kind of a, a bit of everything that you do want on media courses. Um, and then I did my music course and then completed my bachelor's in media. And um, got asked by somebody that I'd kind of worked with in the college to be a part of their film checking in. We started pre-production in 2012 and then we released it in 2014. Um, so like, come along, come and see one of the meetings with us um, and see what you think back in uh, 2012. I was like, okay. Um, and I ended up co-directing one of the segments of the film 
and it was amazing. And I was like, yeah, this this is what I wanted to do. That lovely moment of, <laughs> um, of of making the commitment, like, oh yeah, sure. And then going, Oh gosh, I hope I hope I know what I'm doing. And you find that you actually <laughs> really do. And not only do you find out what you didn't know you knew, but you actually love it. And that's that's that light bulb moment, isn't it? That's I know I know that feeling very well. Yeah, it was it was really weird to begin with I was like can I actually do this because everybody else that was working on it had been doing it for longer than I had and they'd written the scripts for their segment whereas um, Leah had written the script for this and was the main director and I was kind of co-directing with her so she was the lead on it and um, I was like can I actually do it though do do I have do I have it in me to be able to do it? Because I don't write scripts. Um, and we did, and I loved it. Um, and then we decided to do House of Screaming Death, which is another anthology feature film, like checking in, but this one was a horror. So we split up who was going to write about what. So Alex had um, like a haunted doll story like Chucky. Um, Dave had a vampire story um, and I had the witch story and I was like okay I can do this ended up not writing the script for it <laughs> because again at that point I still wasn't a script writer but my, my good friend Mark Lees wrote the script um, and I directed that segment so I had to bring kind of his idea to life and we had a really good relationship and work really closely on it. And it was, again, like helming your own segment of the film. It was such a great experience, you know, choosing the actors. Because um, obviously we didn't have a casting director. Yes, I love your, like I love your IMDb <laughs> page. It's like casting director, location manager, editor, costume, makeup. <laughs> and it, it made me smile when I read it because I'm like, yes. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to be. That's what it takes when when you, you have an idea. The idea is all well and good, but then you have to become your own producer. And if there's no one to do the makeup or sew the costumes or, you know, shop for the cost wardrobe, it's going to be you. I mean, I've even driven my own grip truck and I've shown up and the crew are like, wait a minute, you're the director as well. <laughs> you're, why are you, why are you driving the, the grip truck? And I was like, well, because I can. I went and picked up the the, the camera yesterday and it's actually saved me a couple hundred quid in a runner or a driver you know you just do what you need to do don't you? you you have to have um so many skills um because obviously on on a hollywood set your director would just direct somebody else does everything and i now can't imagine giving the extra roles away like i like going and buying costumes um, I like doing the budgeting so I know where everything's being spent. I like being the casting director because I can, you know, watch the actors and go, right, yes, that's that that's my character right there. Um, so I could never imagine not doing that now. And I suppose that's the joy of being a, an independent director is that it is stressful, but you 
micromanage every last bit of it. Um, so the outcome is is yours. Um, but that's not so, to yeah. that's not to then, discount the collaborative process as well. I'm sure that you you get to hire some all. really smart people and really creative people that that also give you input. Yeah. I've been so lucky because um, obviously with checking in that had already been sorted before I was on board. Um, and it was amazing. So we had um, Ben Thompson, who was DOP, and Matthew Wood, who would DOP on the days that, that Ben couldn't. And they're amazing. They're so talented. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Before I was directing, I didn't understand that relationship between the cinematographer and the director and how the cinematographer really informs so much of the story because you can have an idea of what you would like the shot to be and they always add a layer of of extra something, extra sprinkling of something. And for me, when I, I always feel like we're shooting we have to shoot fast because we need to make our day and it'll be my DP who'll go, you know, Alexandra, you, you know, we have to turn around on that character because you're going to really regret it in the edit suite. And I'm like, oh, all right then, you know, because you just want to keep moving. And, and that's not always at the forefront of your mind is, is coverage and, and, and so on and so forth. Do you want to speak a bit about that? You're nodding like, yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Because when you're saying how talented your DPs are, I think that's what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. So, um, so Ben Thompson and um, I've worked with two of the director of photography. So um, Joshua Bagger and Ash Connerton. And Ash Connerton worked on my last film, Out of Time. Um, and they, I mean, Ash particularly, because it's the most recent, um, he came up with the shot list, um, and we went through it together and double checked everything. But then when you're on set, you do a few of them and you'd go, okay, we don't need to do that shot now because we've kind of already got it, but how about we try this? And it's just like, yes <laughs> let's do that I never thought about that let's do that and it's his experience um of doing that job in the past that's that kind of makes him an authoritative um about what kind of shots that you you're, do you're need. touching on something too about um working with people who have more experience than you because it you know you don't all want to be students you don't all want because I've worked on uh, as an actress I worked on a tiny film and uh, that was the case and the poor DP was he was run he was operating camera and he was and there were these people these young people standing around I said do not one of you want to learn how to do this job anyway um you know that idea that you do need somebody you need at least a couple of HODs that have done it quite a few more times than you have because otherwise you're all sort of shooting in the dark literally shooting in the dark sometimes <laughs> so so tell me um so let's go back so so you're also aren't you also teaching now as well 
Yes, so I, when did I pass my teaching course? Um, 2013, um, I got my BGCE to be a teacher and I've been teaching since then. Um, and I teach media and film. Um, so that's nice. <laughs> I get to um, to teach kind of how we do it. But it's nice because the, the students that we have, when you talk about the films that you've worked on, it's almost like they're like, oh, you actually do this. You're not just teaching this. And then it's 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 different. They feel like you do have more authority and you do have more understanding than just reading about it and then teaching it. Um, so that's that's really interesting. I love that part. And sometimes we have students on the film sets as well. So that's quite nice. We've had. Um, yep, we do. We do. Usually um, some of them have done a lot of stills. There's no, yes, there's no substitute for experience. And and, you know, having that. That's one thing I say to young people, too. You know, just get yourself a running job, be a runner, be a PA, make the coffee. You'll get yelled at maybe a couple of times. Don't take it personally. Just be really smart and you'll get invited back and you'll, you know, you can work your way up the up the ladder meet more people and work more one job will lead to another job I, I mean I see it all the time with the young people starting out that come and work for me um, and now some of them are working on huge movies you know um, because they they just that's how you learn you know they, it, I think it's great to have a practical um, technical uh, education if you will but there's just no substitute for for actually being on on a film set and learning the language that people speak and the departments and so forth. Okay, so you're making films, you're writing films, you're teaching about films, and you are doing a, a little PhD on on women making films. Tell me about that. Like <laughs> I don't know about it. Uh, oh, it's all it's 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 all a lot. Um... <laughs> Um, so, the, so the PhD right now is is hard because I'm doing um, I'm doing half written thesis and the other half I'm actually doing script writing for, and because that is an option in a PhD, which a lot of people don't know, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to write ninety thousand words, and what I want to do is write a script. Um, so you can do that, um, which is fantastic. Um, and I'm just kind of finishing off part of the written work, the literature review. Um, but having that on top of obviously teaching um, is difficult. Um, but also I'm trying to write four scripts at the same time. <laughs> so Four? Yeah, are they feature scripts or are they short films? No. Um, so I've never actually written a feature before. Everything I've written has been a short. So... Um, so Chloe was the first script I wrote um, and that was while we were filming House of Screaming Death so while they were filming other segments I'd sit in the green room and be handwriting um, Chloe um, we did start making that but that's kind of on the back burner um, just because of everything that's been happening um, then I wrote a micro short called Mirrors and we filmed that in a day um, which is fantastic um, and then I wrote Out of Time as part of my master's degree, and that's um, as a short. Um, it did well in festivals as a script, 
um, which was really nice. I was like, it's my first script and it's doing quite well. Um, and then we made it and it's doing quite well in festivals, <laughs> which blows my mind. Um, so I've got two of the micro shorts on the go. I'm adapting uh, Gillian Flynn's book, The Grown Up. It's not official. It's a fan adaptation. And then I'm trying to write a feature at the same time. But but <laughs> writing is writing. I just I think I I sort of fell out of love with making short films after about the fourth one because I figured, well, if I can make nine short films, that's basically <laughs> a feature film. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, it's, that's a slightly glib response to it. But, you know, it felt like there's as much work can go into putting together a crew for um a short film as for a feature film of course there's there's far more moving parts on a feature film and you want to sell it afterwards so you know you do a few festivals and then then you have to you know romance the sales and distribution people to actually get you some of your money back if you're lucky but I understand that that short, sharp. I, I hear you say, qualify for me a micro short film because I have this thing uh, about short films being too long. Like, you know, you go to film festivals and there's a 30-minute short film. No, that's a TV episode, love. You know, if you can't... <laughs> for me, if you can't get in and out of your story in under 15 minutes, you're you're not using the genre to its the best of its ability can you talk a little bit about about yeah. that okay so um a lot of festivals um a micro short is five minutes or under a short film is 45 minutes or under and then 45 minutes and over is a feature um so when i write a short i've always been aiming at about 30 pages um, my micro shorts are two pages long. So and really, really P.S. They're f- just for those listening, just for those listening, it's you're more likely to get a spot in a short film festival with a short short film because that means they can they can put more films into they can curate more films into the program. So it's always worth thinking about that when you you might have a 30 minute short film, but maybe you can sit down with your editor and go, can we can we just keep slicing away moments so that we just have the bare bones of this film? And sometimes, you know, you end up with something quite lovely because you haven't haven't fluffed it out. You have you don't need you might, you might not need those those 30 pages. Yeah, I think when you when you do come to make what you've written you do think oh well actually mm, let's take that out and let's take that out that that happened with chloe when we were making chloe i was like oh let's let's just lose that bit let's keep it simple lose that page lose that page <laughs> lose that page okay let's try now and it does it does happen when it comes to actually making what you've written absolutely yes yes so so long term what what do you think your your position in the film world will be? What would you like it to be? Well, <laughs> um, I would like um, to actually have have a budget um, uh, so I can pay people properly. Um, 
ideally like the script that I'm writing, the future that I'm writing, and this sounds really silly, and I know it sounds silly, but one of the characters that I'm writing, I am writing it as if Pedro Pascal is playing that character. Um, he, I don't know if you know who Pedro Pascal is, but he's um, the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian um, TV series. Um, he's also in Game of Thrones, um, and Prospect, and The Mentalist, yeah, um, and a couple of other short films. Um, so in my head, ideally what I would like is for that to happen have a budget, have Pedro Pascal as the main character, go and make it as a feature, have the budget for stunts, um, have the budget for lots of actors. Um, so that ideally, that's what would happen. But again, I know that's... No, I'm listening because... to you speaking and I think that... Um, I know I've done it. I've written main characters especially. It really helps to have a specific actor in mind and I think even if that actor never plays that part it keeps you on a steady path of a of tone and you know that that character that character's persona matched to that actor um and it, it you know it, it may not end up being but it may you know the other thing is too you've got to put it out there if you just keep it a secret yeah. He'll never know. <laughs> and uh, that's another thing. You know, you might send your script to his yeah. agent who goes, oh, no, it's not finance. It's not greenlit. We, we don't, you know, we don't consider anything until it's greenlit. That's like the, that I hear that all the time. Mm. And, you know, you hear all the time that actors never got to read such and such a script. So you've just got to keep plugging away, keep telling people he's your dream casting and, you know, and you just never know. I, I don't think that's silly at all. I think it's actually quite smart. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is would be um, how do you get it out there? How do you get it to um, agents, to actors, to uh, production companies? That's something that um, I don't really know how to do. So I can do the writing, I can do all the micromanaging of the short film um, and all of that and send it to film festivals and whatever, but it's the next stages. Um, a lot of people don't understand how the next stages work um, and it would be really important for, for that to, um, not, not to be more commonly known, but maybe a helping hand in the industry, especially having... Because a lot of men sit like, oh, this is an example I come back to all the time. But the, the, the two guys that pitched their idea to make Game of Thrones, like, how did they even learn how to do that? They have no experience in the industry at all. They hadn't made anything up until that point. So how did that work? Did they already know somebody? Did they just have the guts just to be like I'm just going to do this and then it just happened I, I think well so, I, yeah. <laughs> I I know exactly what you're talking about because those stories you hear those stories over and over why did why did they why did somebody take a punt on them and and why why would yeah. somebody how can I create a situation where somebody would take a punt on me 
And um, I can only speak from my personal experience, which was um, I knew that if I was going to make a feature film of any size, it had to be affordable and it had to be, I had to write it. I had to, I wanted to direct it. So I wrote it so I could direct it and I had to produce it. And the producing meant I had to raise the money as well because just, it was, and I did that amongst friends and family. And now that that's all in the can and it's out there, there's still an element of, well, oh, everyone's going to see you really differently now, Alexandra, because you've made your feature film. Well, are they? Or am I sort of starting back at the beginning again? And one of the, because I still have to pitch my ideas to an actor or another producer or whatever. I would really like not to have to produce because it's it's a lot of work and it's a very broad spectrum of jobs that producers have to do. So do I go get an agent? There's that, there's that you know, outlet, there's, you know, do I um, go start going to all the markets and festivals, which has been impossible the last 15 months because of the pandemic, but that's what filmmakers do. But then you have to finance your way to Cannes or Berlin or, you know, Toronto, where these markets are. Mm. Um, and it's, it's hard. The other thing I hear, which kind of annoys me a little bit is this 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 you know female filmmakers look we just we just gave an oscar to chloe Zhao for for directing a feature film mm-hmm. right so so women women are making films now and they are we are but it still feels like the boys have the edge mm. let's talk about that a little bit they do it, it does feel like it's skewed very much. Why do you think that is? Um, a lot. <laughs> no, <laughs> why do you think gonna... that is? Um, I don't... Um, I, oh, I don't know. I mean, the, the statistics speak for themselves. Um, so, in 2019, the top 100 grossing films, 10% were female directors. 10%. You cannot tell me that there are only like a handful of female directors out there. How can only two? Is it two or three women now have won Oscars in the ninety-two year, um, ninety-two year time that's been around? Like I, I don't, you know, nine, nine, I think it's like nineteen percent of um, writers were women on those top hundred films is purely in america um it's not including british films but i can't imagine i think it's probably worse Um, lower so you feel like it's skewed like yeah so like why why are men being given more of a chance like oh oh. snyder got given how many millions to redo justice league what why how many independent films by women could that have supported? I don't I don't understand it. Four hours long. Edited in four by three. Who well, they're that? also they're making films that they want to watch. But we're making films, I'm making films that I want to watch. I'm writing scripts 
of television shows that I want to watch, that I want to direct. And I'm, you know, we're 52% of the population and we watch television and we go to the cinema and still hearing, oh, well, you know, we're, we're appealing to that YA audience now and period stuff, unless it has a, unless it's genre bending. I had that one. Unless it's genre bending period or genre, <laughs> genre bending genre, we we're so, we're going for we're, they're still going for the younger audience. Do you know how many? I'm I'm in my fifties. Do you know how many women in their fifties have survived because of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime Video this last fifteen months? We're alongside the guys and the young people who want that. So can only men? Can only men? write and direct what uh you know young adult stuff no <laughs> you know that's not that's not a good reason um women write and direct amazing films and uh emerald fennel um oh, love 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 she's wonderful but they're all like oh this new star this new film promising young woman um she's one of the showrunners for killing eve she Yes. He's already in the industry. She starred in um, Call BBC, the Midwife. Call, call, the, call the Midwife. She's not. She's not new to the game. She's known people in the industry. Got in, managed to make this film, and they're all saying, "Oh, she's new. She's she's new." Yeah, to the but industry. I still she wonder. She still had to do something to get showrunner for Killing Eve because that was a very successful first season. And I don't know what her journey was. To I know she wrote the second season, I believe, but she still had to be hired to do that. I would love to have been in that process, she's, but she probably has a very powerful agent. That's all I. That's all I can. She's Phoebe Waller-Bridge's best friend. There you go. It's not what you know; <laughs> it's who you know. Always. I do think, and, and I. I can speak to that a little bit because I, I felt like that as an actress that I hadn't gone to maybe the right drama school or I never quite had the right representation or um, I just hadn't worked. It's it's hard to to look back and go, well, that set of circumstances, that set of coincidences. But then there also are coincidences that just by being in the right place at the right time pay off for you and you can't create those. You know, if you didn't go to Cambridge or Oxford or if you didn't, you know, if you don't run in those social circles, which also has, you know, Guardian reading, BBC producing people in it, then you have to start your own network of connections. Yeah. And, you know, that's that painful thing that many creatives struggle with which is going to uh festivals and going to the drinks and the networking things and presenting yourself and your projects as something viable and, and sort of that's the that's the other area where we we can fail as creatives if if you if you're very shy and an introvert you know you have all these brilliant stories inside you but the idea of standing there with a glass of white wine at a festival whinging on about your story is you know it sounds like <laughs> hell to you I, I really understand that um mm. but I think it's something if you struggle with that you need to look at because it is how the world turns especially in 
an industry which is about people and about communicating and connecting. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not having a go at Emerald Fennel. Like, I'm really, really happy for it's, it's, it's amazing thing um, that she's that she's managed to to get where she is, and right now she has directed her her feature film. Um, but it's like people are going to have more chances, like you say, of doing those things. Like, I'm from the West Midlands. I'm from a working class background. I can't afford to rock up at cans um and and smooth people or anything like that and i don't think that helps you know it's something like 14 percent of the population go to private schools um but there's definitely more than 14 percent of people that are in the creative industries in the hierarchy yes um, it's a very good point so there's a lot yes yes and i've um and i've talked about that with um with women producers too, that there's a, there's a huge gap between being able to afford to be an actor, to afford to go to drama school, you know, from acting to all of the technical sides of it. And also that, that idea of that survival job that keeps you fed and watered and petrol in your car while you're writing your feature script, while you're doing all these low-budget films. Um, I know I pared my life down to the smallest needs, you know, that I could while I was making my feature film because I didn't want any distractions from a, a you know, a, a, a job that was going to take too much of my brain space. Um, I didn't go on holiday. I still don't really go on holiday. <laughs> like, oh, holiday. You mean I can go on holiday so I can write something, <laughs> right? I'll have, I'll have two weeks so that I can write. Um, I, I just... I just lived by, and I quite enjoyed it actually. And I look back on it; it wasn't, it wasn't a hardship because I had, you know, the support of friends. I, I lived, I rented a room in a friend's house. Um, but going back to your point of like how lovely it would be to have a a budget and a stunt coordinator and CGI yeah. and and all of those and a, and a team of people doing their job that you don't have to worry about. I mean, I hear you say, no, I want to do the costume. I want to do the casting yeah. and all of that. But there'll come a time when you won't need to because there are people who really do that really well and you'll really trust that they're going to do that really, really well. Um, but what's it going to take? What's going to take to leap over into that into that place? Is are you Are you working it out in your PhD? Is it coming out in some of your writing? Is some of what we're talking about coming out in your writing? Or is there still, do we still have a ways to go, I think? We do. I mean, the, the stuff I'm mainly researching is, is, the, is the percentages of directors and writers, um, but specifically looking at horror films, which is a genre that, is mainly male focused. They assume that all the audience is male and it isn't. Um, women love horror as well. Um, I think it was Bridget uh, Cherry said they like, or, or it was Linda Williams, and that said women like horror because they can play out the horrors that they feel in real life. So in a stalker film, a woman is is stalked and then murdered. They're things that we have to deal with in real life. You know, you read the newspapers and a woman has been has been attacked um and it's a way it's cathartic women use horror films 
as catharsis. That's a really interesting. Yes, you think it would be the you think it would be the opposite. I have a little bit of problem with um, a lot of these crime thrillers. Are nearly it, the victim is always a woman. It's always violence against women. I'm watching Mayor of East Town right now, and I'm like, oh, okay. Now two young women in the town are missing, and one's been found, you know, naked and violently killed in a in a river. And all all of that stuff, it's all about the violence is very rarely against men. It's about women. And I'm wondering if the more women start to make those sorts of crime dramas, they won't they won't always be about that. You'd hope so. But if you think if you think about real life crime dramas um, that are based on real events, the majority of the time it is women being killed. So. They won't break from the mould. I mean, like I say, maybe was, women I'm thinking it. of I'm thinking of the dramatization of the true stories in Mindhunter, was it? Oh, and I I was about I, love I was about seven. <laughs> yes, but I was about seven <laughs> episodes in, and I was like, this is all all mm. these serial killers all murdered women, yeah. and now we're just yeah. sort of. I did I did love it. I did think it was fascinating that especially the relationship between the two hunters um and then you know peeking into these real these real life serial killer characters but they were all they were all multiple murders of women yeah and, and and slasher films tend to do the same thing as well they do kill men but they they kill women in different ways, in longer ways. The camera work stays on the woman as they die. Um, and there's there's a whole thing about the knife being a phallus and um, the fact that it creates a gaping wound, which <laughs> um, is supposed to be sexual. There's there's so much in it. There's so much in it. Um, whether it's all true or not, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still getting there. But it's, you know... A lot of men are serial killers. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and they like to attack women. Yeah. So, unfortunately. And I think the few women that, the few women that have been serial killers or the majority of women who are in prison or on death row because they have murdered their partners who've been abusive to them yeah. like murder was the was the final answer i mean i'm being very general yeah. and i'm not thinking of a, a specific woman but you know what i'm saying is that often women are become violent because violence has been has has happened to them for a very long time it tends to be in self-defense in a lot of cases um and a lot of the time the, the sentences for a woman killing their abusive partner are longer than men that have murdered their partners. <laughs> but there's there's so many... Th- I mean, I know we're talking about film, but there's so many things wrong with the justice system, like how you can be found raping a woman and only get three months. There's, you know, there's, there's so much inequality. But that inequality in society is reflected in film. You know, men that haven't got experience are more likely to be chosen to helm a film or a TV series than a woman that might have some experience. Then They won't take a chance on an unknown woman, but they'll take a chance on unknown men. And that's, 
that's why that's why ten percent of directors are women and not more than that. You know, and women a lot of the time sorry, women a lot of the time have also got a lot of other things. So some women might be mothers and that holds them back and they're like, oh or they get married and they're of childbearing age, which is a horrible phrase and I hate it. And they're like, we can't employ you because you might get pregnant. But men get married and marriage helps them in their careers because everyone knows that their partner's just going to take up the slack. So, you know, it's so hard. <laughs> um, and I mean, obviously, we're talking very binary Um when we're talking about men and women um, and probably mainly about straight couples when we're talking about men and women as well. So obviously it's not going to be the same depending on the family um, and things like that. Um, But like me personally, I'm not interested in having children at all. Um, I've got a husband and I've got cats. (laughs) That's fine for me. Um, I want to be a scriptwriter and I want to be a director um, I want to be a teacher. You know, I've got enough kids. So, yes. Now, wait a minute, because I feel I'm you know, very so. similar to that. I But I also know that I, I did, I've never really had maternal feelings. So I feel I'm lucky. I think you're lucky that you don't yeah. want children. And I always framed it like, well, and now that means yeah. that because I don't want children and I don't have them, I haven't had them. I've not had to complicate my choices in my creative life. I've been able mm. to move cities, uh, countries, and all that sort of thing, mainly because I don't have children. Um, and it still remains that a lot of women have children already or would like it. And and I, you're mm. right, the binary question is that. And, oh, God, it's, it's always going to be there. And is the answer you know, uh, a crash and childcare as an automatic part of production. You you just factor that in um, because there are going to be women there. There's there's going to be half the crew, at least half the crew are going to be women and at least maybe half of those will have preschool age children. How, how do you, how do you weave yeah. that into, into a 12 hour shooting day? It's it's a, it's a it's the ask um, is yeah. to reframe everything that's been happening on film and television sets for decades. I mean, realistically, there is there is somebody that's looking at childcare on film set. Rachel Morrison, she's a fantastic cinematographer, anyway. Rachel Morrison, and I think there are other women in the industry that have said childcare should be a given because yes, fifty percent might be women, but also the other fifty percent that are men. There's they still might be fathers. They still might need childcare. Um, so why isn't it a thing? It, it should be a thing as standard. You know, you go to work, there might be a crash there, like where I work um, at the college, there's a crash there. Um, film industry, it's long days. Some of the people that are there might be parents. A crash is just, like, it should be a no-brainer. How is it only just coming around now that people are thinking about that? You know, especially when in in some in some cases you might have both parents yes, working. Yes, they're, they're thinking about it now because more of us are worming our way into the industry, and it's going to be a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is there anything yeah. else you want to talk about, Becky? This is so fascinating. I just, I just love breaking this down. And, and like I said, I do not want to sound like a whinge. I want it to be absolutely positive. We're here in force. We're making films. We deserve opportunities because we're we're making our own opportunities. And and doing rather well at it. We're making films that people are watching. I sit in meetings where they go, oh, you know, our top our top three productions are just A, B and C and not one of them's been directed by a woman. We really need more women on board. Okay, hello, not just me, but all these women behind <laughs> me and in Artemisia's Daughters. Why do you think I had to start a non-profit was to, to bang a drum about it and... And start a podcast so that we, you know, our voices can be heard. And, um, you know, there, there's talk and there's action. And I prefer the action, <laughs> said the director. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was an interview, um, I guess, Thierry Frimo. I don't really know how you pronounce his name. I don't speak French very well. Um, but he's part of the Cannes creators. And in the interview, he literally says, well, we don't have... There are countries where there aren't any women directors. What countries is he talking about? I don't know. Like, there are. You're just not seeing us. You're just not seeing that we're there. And, and I think that's the thing. It's people... Like, why do we say women directors? Why is that a thing? It's just directors. But because they've always been male... We now say women directors, we say women doctors. Um, we also say things like male nurse. <laughs> like, it should... Why do we keep on gendering our job roles? I'm a director. Yeah. You know, and yet they're all like, oh, but there aren't any women directors. There are. We're directors, we're here. Like, come and look for us. We can't always get out there. Um, but I find it so maddening that somebody that runs Cannes Film Festival is saying there are there are countries with no women directors. Uh, yeah, he's wrong. Yeah. He's wrong. And that you know what? It might have been true twenty five years ago when they were still they were still shooting on film, and it was incredibly expensive, and cameras were super heavy and needed big tripods and dollies and stuff like that. And it's just not true now. Uh, because because a anyone can make a film now. I still talk to young school age children. They're like, "How can I make a film?" I said, "You've got a. F Do you have a phone in your hand?" They still phone. need to be reminded. <laughs> You know, do you? Almost every PC. I know every Mac has iMovie in it. I I even I can edit little things on iMovie <laughs> to to. <laughs> Uh, you know, a watchable YouTube level, that's, there's so much opportunity. There's so much uh, opportunity for exposure and collaboration. And, and I think that's what, that's what I want to put out there with talking with filmmakers like yourself uh, and not just women, but young, young people are from everywhere and from all backgrounds. And, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has their own. Well, I'm only 15. I haven't lived a life. Yeah, but you've got a story about your mum or your gran or your best friend or you and your best friend. 
just just make the story, tell the story. And um, and that's something I kind of want to leave people with because I'm there's not a doubt in my mind, Becky, that you will get you will get a budget and a stunt. Co- I know a really good stunt coordinator <laughs> I can introduce you to. And, awesome. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they you will you will get that because it's it's deep in your DNA and in your soul. And you're not going to stop now. You've come this far. You know, uh, it, it, you're going to draw the attention of somebody who's going to, who's going to want to work with you and 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 finance a film. I I just know it. You just got to, just got to keep going. Don't give up. Never, never, never give up. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you you are right about um, young people making films. Like the students that we have, a lot of them because they have to make a final major project, which is being shown. Um, online tonight at eight o'clock. Um, some of their films are being shown, and they're like, "But I don't have an idea." And then you watch their films, and they're amazing. Like the the, the ones that we teach tend to be between sixteen and eighteen, and they're so talented, and they don't realise how talented they are. You know, and to be able at the end of the year to watch their their final major projects and be like. I don't understand how you didn't think you could do it. Well, you know why they well, didn't. They've got yes, because also, but you have given them the tools. You have shared with them the the ins and outs and the the components. You've handed them to them. So the story's always been there, and the talent. You know, you're the you're the conduit. You're the inspiration and the and the the person that helps it happen. So don't take that away from your your ability and your your teaching skills because that's very important too i think that's kind of the one thing i want to take away from the job is that i want them to look back and you know be like that that they're the people that helped me those teachers the ones that helped me um and and i don't know about being an influence but it would be nice if they thought that absolutely oh i'm sure they do i'm sure they do becky thank (laughs) you so much for talking with me it's been it's just been lovely and um can you tell us where we can see your short films are they on vimeo i'll put all the links um on the podcast here mirrors is on vimeo so i will send the link to that checking in and house of screaming death are both on amazon prime now um that's thanks to david hastings who's one of the directors and the producers kind of getting it all on amazon <laughs> sorting all of that and hopefully people enjoy them of course yes leave comments i was like <laughs> leave comments but they can only be positive comments <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much becky have a lovely well have a lovely screening this evening with your students yes thanks for having me and i'm sure i'm hoping that the screening all goes really really well tonight it's the first time we've done it online it's always been face to face so fingers crossed Fierce Female Filmmakers is a production of Artemisia's Daughters. For more information, go to artemisiasdaughters.org. Our theme tune is composed by Charlie Mackey.